0: I'm actually seeing that those small companies of hardy resilient folks who managed with or without funding you know for years like their strategies are what other people are turning to like you know the, the people who, who had no admin staff to fire or you know who, like the people who have been honing strategies for survival and resilience for generations have a lot to draw on right now
1: hello and welcome to art restart where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre-Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be hearing from dancer, choreographer, and artistic director Rulan Tangan. Rulan was thriving in an international career as a performer and dancer when, in 2004, she survived a bout with stage 4 cancer. Emerging from the harrowing experience, she shifted her goals and committed herself to getting a brand new company, Dancing Earth Creations, off the ground. And 17 years later, she remains its founding artistic director. Dancing Earth is a mixed heritage company that creates contemporary dance deeply rooted and researched in the communities in which it works. Through its workshops and dances, Dancing Earth explores and links themes of ecological and social health and wellness, particularly in indigenous communities. Dancing Earth has led workshops in many native reservations, and to date, the company has included artists from 28 First Nations as co-creators. Among the many awards in recognition Rulan and Dancing Earth have received are an Expressive Arts Award from the National Museum of the American Indian and a Blade of Grass Fellowship for Socially Engaged Art. Rulan spoke to me from her home near Santa Fe. I knew that the pandemic shutdown was devastating to Dancing Earth, as it was for all smaller performing arts companies, so I started the interview by asking her to walk me through how she's navigated the last 18 months.
0: Thank you so much, Pier Carlo, for asking me this. And even though I think, you know, the sort of common mundane part of the story is that we all were completely out of work, I think what the deeper question is, is the role of artists in society, especially when the whole thing implodes and collapses. Because I do feel like artists are the visioners, because artists are constantly being creative in Challenging and changing circumstances and so who better than artists to not only comfort the community but also to provide Spaces of imagination either propelled by the artists or demonstrated by artists so I take that I take that role to heart and I'm gonna actually Bring this conversation to where I had to go like everyone else. I was without human community and my art is you know i think all performers have to engage with people whether they like it or not but certainly in the art that i've facilitated as the artistic director for Dancing Earth a lot of it's community sourced so not only the artists on stage but it could be you know farmers or elders or culture carriers or you know open conversations that are that are facilitated and suddenly it was without human community And there's a lot I can say about that, but what I can say is I didn't really feel myself to be lonely. I was certainly a difference, a a difference that I had to adapt and adjust to, but I had time on many days to take a walk outside, even though I was working many, many hours. I, I took a walk outside and I connected with the beyond human beings. Who have always been my teachers, so my teachers who are beyond human. And there were different I think you could call it teachings or sharings or learnings um, that came from me listening during different seasons to the desert and the dried riverbed, um, which many look at and see, oh, it's all dead, it's all, it's all it's all brown, it's all dried. But there's an incredible ecosystem that's very diverse because to survive in the desert. A million living things find a million ways to survive in the desert. And of those, I think there was probably um, eight different expressions that I'd love to share with you. Um, oh. Not necessarily what I learned, but where I learned them from. Because I think they're, I mean, some people might find it to be like poetic or metaphor, but I actually found them to be very direct. Um, so these eight different directions or mini seasons, you know, what came to me. And the first one would have been in March the first part that I learned was from the wind. It was March, and we have big, dusty winds, which I always get kind of irritated by. But
1: and where were you? Because you live—you you live both in the Bay Area and. Good
0: question. New yes, Mexico, right? I had just come back from the Bay, and I was in New Mexico at the time. I'd love to just acknowledge those as um, the Bay Area being. Stolen, occupied Ohlone territory of Yelamu, now known as San Francisco, and in New Mexico, occupied stolen Tehua lands, now known as Santa Fe. I'm not quite in Santa Fe, I'm near, but I'm good enough for this for this uh, for this conversation. I think, yeah, I learn from the wind, and I, you know, I, I get irritated by the wind, and then of course farmers tell me, "Oh, well, that's you know, that's how pollination happens," and. As that came through, I felt this like pollination, and there's plants that have been given the name weeds, but they really can move into life quickly, and they're they're very resilient. They don't need much to survive on. And gosh, I think artists can be weeds sometimes. (laughs) I I certainly became one because we had been getting ready. We had just done a premiere of a new production, and we were lined up for touring. Maybe. The first year where we'd had that much work in about a decade like of building relationships and the dancers had some of them had put three years of their life into creating this work and the common business knowledge that i was actually given in little business meetings not with within my company but you know out in the field were such that you know if you have no expenses so if you don't tour you don't have expenses and so you just let the dancers go they'll they'll figure things out and I found that to be quite inhumane. I didn't think it would. I didn't think it was fair. So what I do when I feel things are not fair, I move into double, triple uh, timing. If you, you can imagine, like your feet in a very like fast staccato rhythm, that became me. And like a weed moving into flowering, or the wind pushing pollination, I decided to invent a whole new business, which doesn't sound so new now. But I I didn't know anything about classes online. In fact, the research at the time didn't even indicate that Zoom was necessarily what it would be. So that's like March March 6th is where we're starting to try to figure things out. And then to have a full programming online of online dance classes, panels for Indigenous LGTB associates, another panel for Afro-Indigenous artists and culture carriers, um, lectures by Native elders who have been the founders of the Native Contemporary Dance Movement really in an effort to just not only give a little, you know, funding to keep people going, but even more so to keep their creative lives going, to keep them, you know, fulfilling their purpose on this planet and to serve our communities.
1: What lessons from that experience are you planning to continue now that we're returning, at least in this country, to a semblance of Normalcy?
0: Well, yeah, what was considered normal wasn't balanced or equitable. So, you know, what is normal for people to be able to get to a performance isn't normal for, for people who have, you know, immune compromisation or are in wheelchairs. And what's normal as far as the arts field, um, particularly for people of color, was never right <laughs> beforehand. So this is a, a chance for those I, I'm actually seeing that those small companies of hardy, resilient folks who managed with or without funding, you know, for years, like their strategies are what other people are turning to. Like, you know, the the people who had no admin staff to fire or, you know, like the people who have been honing strategies for survival and resilience for generations have a lot to draw on right now. So we're seeing how people who come from marginalized, under-resourced backgrounds are standing up, becoming the leaders of the new movement across the board, arts and otherwise.
1: So what, which is great. I mean, the, the, the scrappy, since we're using the term weeds, the, the, the scrappy weeds are the ones that survive.
0: Yeah, which brings me to my, my second teaching, which was about the dandelion. So a dandelion, so, you know, here we were, we're planting all these seeds. And then at a certain point, let's, let's call it the fall, like a dandelion, it, things started to shift where all of that that had been Given to artists over perhaps years, but certainly the last few months, where they started to take on their own um sovereignty, doing things on their their own they've you know now gained skills and confidence, perhaps with you know video performance, or maybe they already had those skills, but they've been you know had different opportunities coming from dancing earth and then there' was, a lot of folks have been taking on their own projects and doing that for their own communities where they are. And I think of that as something really healthy when you see people that you mentor or support even for a moment, when they become even better leaders than they were before. So I'm definitely seeing that now. I'm I'm not so much on social media, but when I do, I'm like, oh, look, look what this person's doing now, like where they're becoming not only leaders making creativity for themselves, but also for others. And that's something I'm, I'm so happy about. And when all that happens, then I move to the third teacher, which is a rock you know when i look at those rocks you, you you realize that your sense of time and your sense of act act like action is very like you just have a little slice of it like i look at this smooth river rock i'm like hmm it got smooth from water over a long period of time and even what i'm holding in my hand is not inanimate there's tons of activity that i can't even see so for dancing earth i think that took the form of appearing inactive uh, for a period of time where there was a lot going on that was invisible to the eye, um, whether that was recalibrating you know, what we want to be in the world or looking at our systems because everything we we had been doing a lot just kind of like fly by the seat of our pants, make it happen. And people have always said, you know, if we just had a little bit more time to plan things out says, okay, I hear hear that I've been driving everyone to like beyond capacity because we constantly have a lot of community members to serve. And perhaps this is the time to slow down from that and really like get better situated, ground ourselves like rocks. And, And next to a rock, you'll often see a branch. And that's my next teacher, the fourth teacher. So when a branch like falls from a tree, it's the water has dried out and it takes this, like my arms right now, they're making this sort of twisted shape. And, you know, if, if I was to pantomime a bit branch to you, or here's the dance of branch, you'd see this twisted shape. And I realize that that twisted shape is actually the shape of water. So roots look like that. Branches look like that. It's the movement inside of them. And even when they dry down, it's still that water shape. So even though we weren't Actively producing programs, we were learning from all the the work that we'd done for seventeen years of like, okay, what worked, what didn't work, and um, you know, using those as templates. Also in the in the dried river bed that is now my big teacher, you'd see the footprints left behind of humans, of um, animals, and the footprints that we'd left from all the work that we had been doing meant that there were a lot of groups that were reaching out to request programming. So even though we weren't actively producing our own, there are many groups that still wanted someone to come and teach online twice a week. And so we were still doing that, but people would be like, gosh, your version of being quiet is other people's version of being busy. But you know, I find it very difficult to say no when people are reaching out for, for dance or movement, because I feel like that's really what can make us fully human. That many folks have not been able to have access to, and so people are like, "Oh, I don't like dance. I don't know what dance is. I'm not a dancer." But it gets down to like being in your body, being fully human. Can you be in your body and and move, and from that comes dance. But it's for me, it's about first just being fully human in our bodies.
1: And so, uh, the footprints. Footprints is is lesson five, six. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. So six. Um, you know. When something in the arroyo falls down, let's say I'm eating something and a crumb falls down, so you know what has fallen, ants come together and they work to harvest that. And I felt like there were times when I felt like I had fallen down, and so many folks came out. Towards me, and they were oh. like, you know, keep this going. You know, I honestly was like, is 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 dance still needed, in them or am I still needed? Like, you know, all of these existential questions that probably every arts leader found themselves asking. And so many folks that came forward, lift up, you know, prop it back up. Uh, here, you know, here's what you should be doing. How can I help? Like a lot of people coming forward say, how can I help?
1: Did you accept? Did you seek and accept help in a way you hadn't before?
0: I did. I will um, say that there's a caveat in that maybe the other time where I learned this, like accepting help, seeking help, as being part of a reciprocal circle, was right before Dancing Earth was founded, which was with a a battle with cancer. And I had said to myself over and over, I don't want to have to learn (laughs) that hard way again. But at that time, I had to ask for help. I had to receive help and really felt that reciprocity. So that, that did come forward again. In you know the the winter of this year, up until now, really starting to shift to reflect that community that's really actually global that's coming forward to say, dance is still important, dancing earth is still important, you are still important, and that's why I'm still on the call, I guess, um, to to speak with you.
1: It's so interesting that these two, if we're bringing back to the ants, the community of the the hive, basically working Mm -hmm. together. That both of those moments occurred during moments of health crises one which was very personal for you mm-hmm. and the other one being a pandemic
0: yes any person or community or culture who's gone through extreme struggles um i don't know i, I feel like it can also diminish the, the pain and, and suffering if you're if you're like oh well from you struggle you learn and then things get better but uh, i'm a survivor a really resilient survivor and I am looking to not be victimized, to not be like or not self victimized. I want to learn and grow, which involves like, you know, the, the pain of change, but, um, you know, also, you know, trying, failing, trying again. And, you know, I think that kind of gets me to our, my seventh teacher. Um, in the arroyo, you also see bones, antlers, bones. And I looked at them and I was like, you know, this was something live that was thundering down this arroyo, probably much more life force than I have right now. And they're still here. They're dried down to their essence. Those bones last a real, real long time. And what I did with some of those bones, I I remade them into art pieces, or they're remade into art pieces by a friend, which I was dancing into life a few days ago. So I, I think there's a metaphor in there about... It's about continuance, I'm not sure what I have to say about like continued transformations and collaborations um, that you know that are continually evolving, but looking at what seems to be done over, dead, dried up, that it can also be beautiful and as something of essence, certainly the dance piece that I was called to make with the bones did feel like that to me
1: so these were we're not talking about. Your message is metaphorical, but these were actual physical bones that were in your dance piece?
0: Yep. <laughs> they oh, were my collaborators. I see. Yep. Instead of dancers, I had bones and rocks and dried flowers. Everything I chose on stage was with the incredible multi artist named Marion Claire Wasserman. And she had taken these um, pieces from the desert, uh, these dried yucca pods, these dried horsetail, there was a shell. But parts of them, she did a light coating of gold. And I I actually am thinking about, there's a beautiful Japanese art form that I've seen and admired, which is something broken that gets put back together, like essentially glued back together with gold. I think what what she found with the bones, like they were beautiful as is. But this application of gold reminds me of the performance process, which is, It might be something that's everyday reality, but there's a heightened attention, there's a heightened sensibility, there's a heightened refinement of intention that, you know, you could equate to, you know, a a lining of gold that catches the light.
1: Wow. It sounds just beautiful. Uh, I would like to take a a step back, if we could, and ask you kind of a, a broad question, which is, what would you fundamentally change in the world of dance?
0: You know, I think one thing that has been very different about Dancing Earth is that we, well, for a long time, there wasn't admin, like until the last few years, there really wasn't that much admin support. There'd be people coming in part-time, a single person at a time, here and there, but we didn't have a a team or a system because I was centering the the artists and the art making. And how that plays about now, when there is some part-time staffing, is that I've, I've really put my feet in the ground and said we all make the same we all get paid the same rate whether that's the director the grant writer the um, the dancer because oftentimes what was presented to me as a really you know effective business model if I looked at it was a pyramid structure where the people on the bottom were getting paid the least and the people on the bottom in, were also the frontline workers or one might say that the dancers, the performers, the teachers, who are also definitely the people of color, although our, our entire organization is bipoc, but I think that that's a certain type of equity and justice that is I haven't been able to see a way around. I've been told so many times that we would have a more stable company if there was a managing director who was paid much more, or you know hiring a development director at ten times more. And I haven't been able to shift that. I, I haven't felt. I, I just felt like that didn't seem right to me.
1: When did you make this this decision to uh, of pay equity?
0: Oh, from the beginning. That's when I said. It, really? Right? Yeah, from the beginning. And unfortunately, what I and this might lead me to my maybe the the eighth lesson, except for me, because as a as a founder, you put in tons of. Unpaid time, which, when you balance that out, it becomes inequity. So the only one who is receiving inequity was me, and and I'm and I'm looking at that because that could also lead to other patterns that aren't healthy. That said, I'm already you know putting in my <laughs> tenth hour today, um, but uh, because you know I also I do have a lot of energy. I, I have a lot of energy that comes from creativity.
1: It sounds like you have learned you've had to learn some important lessons about how you want to lead. Also. Uh, So that's still
0: emergent. Yeah.
1: But
0: coming out of this whole period, like I had this sort of frantic, like making and then the pausing, but I'd say that pause, like you said, because it's so rare that I would call it like the underground time, the time of going into the darkness. And that was happening on many different, many different fronts, like going into the darkness, personal, professional, financial, you know, every different way. And someone reminded me that a cocoon is actually it's decay it's decomposition you know it's it's not pretty (laughs) it's not like you know nice little you know worms squirming around and then beautiful um butterflies so
1: right it 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 dissolves it becomes this weird goop and then butterfly right yeah
0: yeah so i was feeling a lot of that weird goop for a lot of the early part of this year and not really being able to stand strong in my vision or creativity because we were in emergence and i also am am very clear that no matter what we envision or discuss or plan with a little strategic plan and a little you know mapping organizational mapping because the priority for me is the art making the art the artists it's we can talk about whatever we want but until we're in the room together evolving what we're going to be together, evolving what are our stories and what is the story that we want to tell together. To me, that's all. It's a wonderful exercise, right? That, that might support the, the process together. So saying that as we're just at the verge of returning to some of our programs. Now, I know that these programs are going to be different. And I don't want to put a name to what that is because like I said, I want it to, to evolve from our time together. But I know in my gut, I can feel like you know, when you can feel it in your body, we we say as humans, I feel it in my gut, I feel it in my body that there is there is a change coming or that is there, there's a change of foot, that, that all of this decomposition time is leading to something different. And I don't want to name it yet because I want to let it become what it wants to become. But in that reflection time, I think you'll be hearing from a lot of artists, especially people who are leaders, that you know we've been putting the vision, the company, the group, the people I'll say I have, but I've been always putting them in front. I've been always like you know if someone's coming to me for with an opportunity like oh can i can I try to bring others in and so it's there's a service that's that's there, there's a constant cultivation of like the light that shines on me, how can I get it to bounce onto others? that I feel is, you know, part of, you know, as an older artist, that to be able to take relationships and opportunities to create, like I said, that dandelion to, to make up, to keep using the word opportunity. I'm kind of getting tired of that word, but to make creative pathways, paid pathways for others.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Rulan, please visit uncsa.edu artrestart. Also, please know I'm always eager to profile artists from every region of the country. So if you know an artist who's shaking up the status quo in your community, won't you please let me know. You can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at PCTalenti. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.